0: To be an educator and not merely a teacher, one must lead people out of ignorance. Jane Elliott's goal is to reach people's sense of empathy and morality. Many people do not think that racism affects them or that they act in a racist manner. Racism is not inherent. You are not born a racist. You have to carefully be taught to be one. This is Susan Marie, and you are listening to This Is Not the Apple. And today I have with me Jane Elliott, Riceville, Iowa, American teacher and anti racial activist, who in 1968 implemented an exercise to teach children about racism. And the Associated Press and Johnny Carson picked up Jane's story. Jane, I wanted you to explain to the listeners what occurred after the killing of Martin Luther King Jr that propelled you to begin the blue-eyed, brown-eyed experiments with children in the 1960s.
1: The whole thing is so recent for me that talking about it never fails to, to make me feel sick to my stomach. He had been, Martin Luther King Jr. had been one of our heroes of the month in February, and he was killed at the hands of an assassin in April, and I was going to have to go into my third grade classroom in all white, all Christian Riceville, Iowa, and explain to my students why Martin Luther King Jr. was in the street rioting, what it was that he was, he was um, upset about, why he was in the street. And then I was going to have to explain to them the ignorance and the hatred and the fear that would make a white person shoot down that young white that young black male. I didn't know how to explain that to them because I didn't understand it myself. We were studying the Indian unit at the time. We still called it the Indian unit then. And our lesson plan for the next day was to learn the Sioux Indian prayer that says, "Oh Great Spirit, keep me from ever judging a man until I've walked a mile in his moccasins." That's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and I decided <laughs> it was awful. It was so awful, I can It's hard for me to talk about this because we were so engaged with what he was doing and so appreciative of what he was doing and so in support of what he was doing that we couldn't understand why anyone would be vicious enough or ignorant enough or mean enough to kill that man. I decided that if my students didn't understand what we were talking about the next morning, that not only would I teach them the Sioux Indian prayer, I would arrange to have it answered for them. I decided that I would do what Hitler did. And what we do in this society I would pick out a group of people on the basis of a physical characteristic over which they have absolutely no control. I would treat them unfairly because of that physical characteristic. I would lower my expectations of them. I would force them to live down to my expectations of them. And when they did, I would say, see, that's the way you people are, and you're all like that because of that physical characteristic. And that's what we do with women in this country. That's what we do with gays and lesbians. That's what we do with people of color. Exactly. It Just- works beautifully. We do it all day, every day. Right, right, I agree. And nobody says, don't you think you could do severe damage to a child treating them that way on the basis of a physical characteristic over which they have no control? Nobody complains about that in the classroom. Nobody complains about that on the bus, at the theater, on the billboards as they drive down the road. Nobody complains about the damage that is done to people of color on a daily basis of that kind of behavior. But I And I didn't realize how angry people would be when they found out that I was doing that to my with my students on the basis of the color of their eyes. I knew that one of the ways you got thrown into the gas chamber during the Holocaust was eye color if you had a good German name but you had brown eyes they threw you into the gas chamber because they thought you might be a Jewish person who was trying to pass and so I didn't invent this exercise I learned it from Adolf Hitler Mm -hmm. and anybody else who was using it didn't invent it they too learned it from Adolf Hitler I didn't know how the exercise would work because I'm a white female and white females don't have to know how racism works we're just all convinced that we aren't racist Right. it's just somebody's imagination or they're taking it wrong or they just don't understand, or they're looking for racism, and that's why they find it. They're just digging it up. If they'd stop digging it up, it wouldn't be there. I've heard all those. I know I'm a racist. There's no doubt in my mind. I went to school for a whole lot of years, and the longer I spent in school, the more racist I became, because the more racist the education became. The the nailed-down racism started in kindergarten. It started before birth. But in school, it started in kindergarten and continued. Until I finished going to college, which I've done now for a while. But I didn't know about racism. I didn't know about racism until I used that exercise with my third graders. Wow. And then I learned so much more than I wanted to know.
0: And what was it, Jane? Were you in maybe like your 20s or 30s? (laughs) I was 32 years old. 32 years old.
1: Wow, amazing. I must have been, no, wait, now I have to be, I must have been 34 years old, going on 35. And I was totally ignorant about racism. And yet I would have said, as everybody says, I'm not a racist. I don't dislike people of color, but I am. I don't dislike people of color, but I'm a racist. What you say is very
0: important because even though as I sit here, I have something to ask you towards the end, too. Uh, it's It's important what you just said about admitting that you're a racist because inherently inside of us, I know there's things probably embedded there that I don't even realize are there, and I don't mean them to be there.
1: But you didn't, you weren't born that way. Right, right. If people watch, hearing this, and if they continue to listen, (laughs) and some of them will turn off. Oh no,
0: they will, trust me, they they will. They definitely Um, will. (laughs) If they
1: continue to listen, they need to know that nobody is born a racist. There is no gene for racism. You have to be carefully, carefully taught to be a racist. I know how to teach racism. I was taught racism, I was taught to teach racism and if you if that if i hadn't been a racist when television came on the scene i'd have become one if you don't have a racist in your family if you have a child and that child isn't a racist put that child in front of a television set for several hours a day every day for several weeks and you'll end up with a racist a child who thinks that it's all right to treat people positively or negatively on the basis of the color of their eyes and probably a white child who will know that because of the color of their skin, they have the power to continue to manipulate the situation on the basis of skin color. Racism without power is just anger. When you have the power to institutionalize your belief in white superiority, then you've got a problem with racism. That's where it gets frightening very frightening. I
0: mean, racism at all is disgusting to me and frightening in and of itself, but what you just said, when when the power is there to implement it on a grand scale...
1: And that's exactly what we're doing right now. And of course, you know, you, you cannot deny the racism and the opposition to everything on the part of some people, a certain group of people, that Barack Obama wants to do. It has nothing to do with what he wants to do. What he wants to do is what every politician has wanted to do in this country for the last 40 or 50 years at least as long as i've been watching those polls but people are protesting what he's doing who were in favor of it three years ago exactly it has nothing to do with politics having changed it has to do with the fear that a whole lot of white people have of having a black
0: man in the white house you see them now will attack him but I don't see a whole lot of changes cuz like to me politics is politics is politics but I didn't see anybody like say attacking George Bush as vehemently as they're attacking Obama does okay. that make sense no.
1: but yeah see, like we had a madman running around doing whatever he wanted well I don't I don't think that George Bush was a madman I think he was a bit of a fool but, but that's but he and he was, you know, his strings were being pulled by somebody else. Right. It. And it was he was his strings were being pulled, and he did what he was told, and and he had the money to continue to do what he was told. You know it, and I know it. But that's not, that's neither here nor there. The problem is, nobody is standing up. Very very few people are standing up and defending what Barack Obama is doing or saying anything about the good things that he has done since he came into the presidency. I think if a white male had accomplished what this man has accomplished in the last year and a half, that every person in the country would be absolutely in awe and grateful to him for what he had done. Now, he's going to be tarred with this this um, oil business. Yeah, it's going I know. to be his fault that BP had an accident in the, in the Gulf. That's unfortunate. it's just, it's, it's not just unfortunate, it's deliberate, but racism is not just, it's not just black and white, it's what we have done to Native Americans in this country.
0: It's interesting that you touched on that point that it's not just black and white because I wanted to bring this point to you today, I see it on such a wide scale as being sexual gender. Financial class, religion is a big one. Well, what you need to you need to be careful about including religion there,
1: because you can change your religion.
0: Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah. Interesting. You can, change, you can change your financial situation, but you can't change. You can change your class. Wow,
1: oh, you that's interesting. Your hometown, interesting. where you are, the low class, and go out and make some money and be in a different class. If you take the lessons, you can do that. You can change your educational background. You can change all the, the things I'm talking about which I consider absolutely wrong to be judged upon, are things over which you have no control, physical characteristics over which you have no control. You have no right to treat women badly just because they're women. Right. You have no right to think as a woman that you deserve better treatment than somebody else because of your gender. Right, right. no sense. You have no right to think that it's all right to run a woman for the vice presidency who is totally, totally unqualified for that position. (laughs)
0: Just because she's a woman.
1: Just because she's a woman. And then treat her, fair, you know, with kid gloves for a while because she's a woman and because she's young and because she's pretty. This this makes no sense. And when we're, you know, we're, 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 um, and some women supported her because she's one of us. Well, no, no. You don't support her because she's woman, a woman any more than you go, you refuse to support her because she's a woman. Right. Talk about qualification. Right. You have no right to mistreat gays and lesbians because... Of the way they were born, they right? Have the right to be what they are.
0: Exactly. That is so. That is such an important point that you but brought they up. Could you they can't
1: change what they are, and they shouldn't. Nobody should say to them. Or I don't. I don't like to say the word should. Nobody has the right to tell somebody, we're going to cure you of your sexual orientation.
0: That that's absolutely ridiculous. To me, it's trying. You know. Oh goodness. Yeah,
1: that's as ridiculous as trying to cure a man of being a man. Try that sometime.
0: (laughs) You know, the point you made, though, Jane, is very important because when you said racism are things that cannot be changed, that is important because I was looking at it as discrimination, and those are two completely different things.
1: Completely different things, but people say to me, well, prejudice causes discrimination. No, we've got the axiom backwards. Prejudice does not cause discrimination. Discrimination causes prejudice. I don't worry about prejudice. Prejudice is an attitude. It can't hurt you. Discrimination is a behavior. It kills people every day. And if you discriminate against... And I, I didn't know until I did the exercise with my third graders. Now, your your uh, listeners are going to think, I must be really stupid. Well, I was really stupid when I was 34 and 35. and I still am, but not as much as I was. I didn't know that if you, you could treat some people badly and accuse them of being ignorant and accuse them of not being able to learn and accuse them of being less than and when they start to withdraw or start to not be able to perform academically or start to get angry or start to act out, then you blame their behaviors and their acting out and their withdrawing on that physical characteristic which was eye color in my classroom that first day. You blame all those behaviors on the color of their eyes instead of taking responsibility for what you did to make them behave the way they did. And I created in my blue-eyed students, in my brown-eyed students, the idea that, yeah, look at the way those blue-eyed people are acting. They really are all the things Miss Elliott says they are. And they began to treat them as though all those things were absolutely true. And because I told my brown-eyed students that they were brilliant, that they could learn anything, that they were some of the best students I'd ever had, that they were the top of the heap, that they deserved the best of everything, Those brown-eyed students became what I told them they were. They learned words I knew they couldn't learn. They read words I knew they couldn't read. They spelled words I knew they couldn't spell. They did math at a higher level than they had ever done it before in my classroom. And it was because I had given them magic eyes. On the other hand, my blue-eyed students fell apart academically. It was absolutely terrifying. My discrimination against the blue-eyed students Encouraged my brown eyed students to discriminate against them and prove that all the things I was saying about them were true and created prejudice in them. They prejudged them from that well, from the moment I started that exercise for the rest of the day. They prejudged everything those kids did on the basis of my discriminating against them.
0: So, from the prejudgment, then you see the discrimination,
1: which from turns discrimination, into discrimination, you see the judgment.
0: From discrimination, you see the judgment, then you see the racism, and then and th-
1: in in my case, it was iism.
0: ism right? But
1: outside my classroom, it is racism. If there is a book that every listener to this program has to get and has to read, and it's called Race and Reality by Guy P. Harrison. Race and Reality. Race and Reality by, by Guy P. P. Harrison. R R I S O N absolutely a brilliant book. Everybody has to read it. He says, environment matters. If you live in a rundown neighborhood with plenty of liquor stores and junk food available, but little or nothing else in the way of fresh fruits and vegetables be found, your health may suffer as a result. If you constantly worry about violent criminals on the streets around your home, you may not be very interested in jogging or walking in the evenings, and you may end up overweight and unfit as a result. The frustration of not getting a needed raise possibly because of a racist racist boss combined with a less than adequate income might wear on some people over the years and lead to a health crisis one day just just think about that well it's true it's true of course it's true think about what we do every day to certain groups of people and lower our expectations for them force them to live down to our expectations of them and then blame the way they behave on something, that, on a, on the color of their skin.
0: You know, it's in, Jane, before we go on, could you explain a little bit exactly what you did in the classroom for anybody who doesn't
1: know? I went into my classroom the day after Martin Luther King Jr. was killed. We did the things that have to do first thing in the morning. First, we said the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. When I was in third grade, it didn't have the words under God in it. But in 1954, Dwight Eisenhower to stop the spread of godless communism, put the words "under God" in the pledge and on our paper money. In God We Trust. In 1954, so that day, of course, we had to say the words "under God" in the pledge of allegiance to the flag. Should never have been done. If you want to have a separation in church of, of church and state, you do not put prayers in the school. Right. And that became a prayer after we said that then we sang god bless america which is another prayer you're praying to god to bless america now i didn't i knew that it was wrong to stay under god in the pledge i thought that was a foolish thing to do but i wasn't upset by singing god bless america you know that's a, that's a oxymoronic behavior anyway then we started to talk about the killing of martin luther king jr we talked about segregation and integration and all those Asian things that people talk about, and I could see these kids weren't internalizing a thing. (coughs) Pardon me. And I finally said, look, do you kids have any idea how it would feel to be something other than white in this country? No. Would you like to know? Yeah, yeah. I said, would you like to do something today that would help you to know that? Yeah, yeah. It was like we've already gotten out of spelling and handwriting. Keep this woman talking. We don't have to learn anything all day long. Right. (laughs) Now, everybody's done that at some time in their school career. You know it, and I know it. And my kids knew it and they caught on to it in a hurry and they immediately, immediately, I told them we're gonna judge people by the color of their eyes. And since I'm blue eyed and most of the students in the room are blue eyed, brown eyed kids be on the top the first day. Immediately one of them said, What do you mean? I said, I mean blue eyed people aren't as smart as brown eyed people. They're as clean as brown eyed people, they aren't as civilized as brown eyed people. Give blue eyed people something nice and what do they do? Instantly they said, They reckon. I said, How do you know that? And then they pointed out instances, they cited instances of things that happened in the classroom or on the campus that blue-eyed kids had done to destroy something. Or they said, well, he's really bad in math. Or they said, Gee, he can't sell very well. They caught on immediately to how racism works. And they reveled in treating their former friends in racist, disgusting ways. It was awful. I didn't realize the power of racism. I didn't know that you could tell a dyslexic boy that he was brilliant because he had brown eyes and turn him into a reader in 15 minutes flat, and I did it that day in my classroom.
0: And that's the power of suggestion.
1: The power of expectations. Children live down to teachers' expectations of them, and they've done studies that prove that many teachers are more upset by the students who exceed their expectations, the teachers' expectations, than they are by the children who fail to who live down to their expectations. They, they are more upset by children who exceed the teacher's expectations. Now, think about that. That's a terrifying thought. Yeah, it really if is. If you read the book Pygmalion in the Classroom, you will see that stated in that book. Teachers want to be in many cases. In many now I'm not saying all teachers, but don't please don't call in and say she doesn't like teachers. I, I know, I know. I'll hear it all, it's alright. Educators all right. educators are the oldest profession. Now I mean I know what some of you are thinking it is. No. Somebody had to teach those folks how to do it. Educators education is the oldest profession. Not teaching. Educating and the word educate comes from the root duck which means lead. The prefix E which means out and the suffix A-T-E, which means the act of. So in order to educate someone, you have to lead them out of ignorance. That's what schools ought to be doing. Not teaching facts and figures. Right. Leading students out of ignorance. But in order to do that, as an educator, you have to have worked on leading yourself out of ignorance where racism is concerned. True. Most of us don't do that. No. We do not get possibly reinforced for refusing to go along with racism, or for learning about it. I didn't know that you could tell a blue-eyed, brilliant girl that she was inferior and turn her into what you accused her of being. And I did it that day. Carol, the Lutheran minister's daughter, came into my classroom in February reading at the sixth grade level in third grade. She was absolutely brilliant. Had a steel-trap mind. She had never multiplied. We'd been multiplying for three, for about two months. I taught her how to multiply the first 15 minutes of math class the first day she was in my classroom. She never made a mistake in multiplication again until the day she had their own color eyes. And on that day, that child made mistakes in reading. She made mistakes in spelling. She forgot how to multiply. She walked When she walked across the classroom, she walked with her shoulders hunched as if to ward off an expected blow. When she came in from recess, she was crying. I said, what's going on here? As she walked across the playground, two brown-eyed Debbies and a brown-eyed Cindy stepped up behind her. One of them reached up, struck her across the back with her forearm, and when Carol turned around, Debbie said to her, now you have to apologize to me for getting in my way, because I'm better than you are. And Carol apologized and came in crying. That would never have happened in my classroom. If because I before that, they were all getting along. Absolutely. They were, like, they were like a family, because that's what I did in my classroom when I was teaching third grade. I created cousins in my classroom, because I, every, you know, the first week, every child would pick out his or her strength, strength, as a student, and every child would pick out his or her own weakness as a student, and then we would spend the rest of the year using our strength to help other people overcome their weaknesses. So that it was we, and we did strange things that made those kids more like brothers and sisters or cousins than like fellow students but on that day i destroyed that rapport it was awesome i had no idea i had no idea that they'd turn on one another the way they did i didn't think they'd do it i didn't think they'd go along i thought i would have difficulty getting them to go along they were delighted and they were delighted to watch others fail because they succeeded it was it was terrifying.
0: Well, it is. I have like chills right now that's frightening because what is that, like six years old or maybe six, seven years old? I didn't hear you. Is that maybe like six and seven-year-olds? Nine-year-olds. Nine-year-olds. Okay, so think as adults, right? And the power that adults have. These are children.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and when I do this with so-called adults, they act exactly the way my nine-year-old did. I have done this with people from the age of seven. 275, and they all act the same once they're in the exercise. And it is not an experiment. I don't do experiments with children. This was a learning experience. It was an exercise. But it wasn't an experiment because it didn't have a control group. There are days now when I wish I had done an experiment and had, you know, done all the research and done it so that I could say write a book about it and say here it is and here's the proof. I didn't do that. And the reason I didn't do that was I didn't want to experiment with students. I think that that is not a good sense of that educational malfeasance. I wanted to teach them. John Dewey said, we learn by doing. It's I wanted them to walk in the shoes of a person of color for one day in my classroom so that they could learn about those they were deriding on the basis of skin color.
0: Well, Jane, what, I, what you did, I think, is is honorable and commendable, especially during the time, especially where you were teaching. And for everybody listening, you could go onto YouTube or onto Jane's website, which is Jane Elliott. It's E-L-L-I-O-T-T, right? Dot com? Right. Jane Elliott. Um, You could get DVDs. um, What is it? The Class
1: Divided or Class Divided? Um, The Eye of the Storm is the first one. Eye of the Storm, okay. That's the one we did with the third group of third graders. And then when they came back for their five-year reunion after say, five-year class reunion, five years after they graduated from high school, uh, PBS sent three film crews to film that reunion and interviewed those kids. That's what I watched. Bus. That's.
0: That's another thing. I'll put a link to this for everybody because you actually have to watch the time when Jane is teaching these children. I mean, it's absolutely, I'm sitting there watching this going, oh my goodness, you know. Because you you can't believe it too unless you're watching it, how quickly what you're explaining occurs and what happens. And then what was beautiful is when I saw the students come back. And like it changed their lives. Their lives are changed
1: because their perspective has changed. Right. And you need to know that in that film, The Eye of the Storm, 16 third graders, people wrote to me and said, why did you have such a small group? I had such a small group because the principal gave me (laughs) all the moderately to severely dyslexic students in the third grade that year. I know how to teach the dyslexic students. I've taken a course in Orton-Gillingham phonics and have used it for about, well, the last 40 years. You can teach the the chair you sit in to read, if it had a mouth, if you use Orton-Gillingham phonics. It's absolutely wonderful. The principal gave me 16 <laughs> moderately to severely dyslexic students, and it was as if he had thrown down the gauntlet, let's see if you can teach them all. Well, yeah, I did. He mm-hmm. gave me my classroom and said, These kids are never going to learn to read. Now, I know you get upset when students in your classroom don't learn to read. These kids aren't going to learn to read. Pass them on, get them out of here. It will never amount to anything anyway. That's the third group of third graders I did the exercise with.
0: Wow. And they
1: are the ones that are in the film.
0: That's absolutely beautiful. I think it's beautiful what you did.
1: Yeah. Now, when they, none of those kids were supposed to graduate from high school. All of them did, except one who was killed in an accident, an automobile accident, two weeks before graduation. One of them is now a lawyer. One of them is now elementary, a a junior and senior high school principal, and at least six of them have gone, have, have gone, to two or four or more years of education after high school. These were the kids who were called the dummy group. They weren't supposed to be able to learn. The day those kids were on the top in my classroom, they found out how really brilliant they were. Nobody was ever allowed to call them dumb in their presence again. Because the day you're on the top in that exercise, and it happened every time I did the exercise, kids achieved at a higher level academically than they ever had before, and they maintained a higher level after the exercise was over for the rest of the year now it sounds like science fiction and i know it sounds like science fiction i couldn't believe it happened that first year the first year i did it i did it in april and the the, uh, educational achievement was so great the academic achievement was so so great during and after the exercise that the following year i did a simple little 10 item test two weeks before the exercise a different 10 item test first day of the exercise another 10 item test second day of the exercise and another one two weeks after the exercise to find out what I was seeing was real, and it was. Kids' academic achievement was changed as a result of going through that exercise and finding out how really smart they are. And I would say to them every year after that exercise, now, this is the way you achieved the day you were on the top in this exercise. The day you had the right color eyes, you were this smart. That means that's how really smart you are. Right. Now that's how I expect you to achieve from now on. I know how smart you are now. You're not gonna fool me again. And they didn't know until they were on the top in that exercise and it was like, it was Billy Thompson came up to my room at the end of that first day, came up to my desk and said, where's my spelling paper? I said, what do you want it for, Billy? He said, I wanna take it home and show it to my mother. She thinks I can't spell and I can. He didn't find out until April 5th of his third grade year that he could spell and I didn't find out that he could either because he had been living down to my expectations of him and i based my expectations on the kinds of things that his previous teachers said about him in the teacher's lounge of the riceville community elementary school now no teacher no educator should go into the teacher's lounge unless they're wearing earplugs <laughs> and no beginning educator to go and look at those cumulative files before they get their students unless you want to look at the reading and math scores and that's all because you have no business allowing some uh, some other educators definition of a child to define that child. Right. You need to define that child from your own perspective and from your own experience with him or her.
0: That is a beautiful statement. I think it's important to mention, too, that when Jane did this experiment, she had not told her pupils to treat each other differently, only that they were different, and they developed the characteristic responses of discrimination. And then afterwards, and correct me if I'm wrong, the children who were discriminated against, they even came back a bit different, like nicer, not as discriminatory.
1: They were a lot less vicious. The first time yeah, I did that right. exercise, I did it on Friday, and I sent those kids home, I was ready to go back to school on Monday because I was sure there was going to be all kinds of violence on Monday. Interestingly enough, the blue-eyed students who had been on the bottom the first day were much less vicious to the brown-eyed students than the brown-eyed students had been to them. I hoped it was because they had learned something. Obviously, I wanted it because they had learned something. They had. They found out, and they said, we found out how it felt to be treated that way, and we weren't going to treat our friends the way they treated us. I didn't want to make anybody feel the way I felt. That's the way they put it. And if you think I'm lying about that, and this all sounds like science fiction, I know that. But you need to get the book A Class Divided by William Peters. Well, not to Class me. Divided then and now.
0: You know, Jane, because everything that you're saying, uh, quickly, um, different things that I support, as you say, like um, in your 30s, believe it or not that's the first time I experienced like how you describe that and it's just supporting different things like the historic musicians club okay the historic colored musicians club okay I'm just looking to put on a musical event okay and and when I started doing that I myself started to experience that and I didn't know what it was and I was like this is weird I don't know what this is why are people coming at me and they're telling me I'm wrong or how can I do these things and then I would talk to you know I would talk to people and they are like, this is nothing new. We go through this all the time. And I'm thinking like, oh my God, this is horrible. Because I didn't ever experience that. <laughs> right? So I, my mind was blown going, wait, you guys are always treated like this. You've got to be, this is horrible. This is wrong. They're like, well, yeah, but this is how it is, right? Yeah, so This is the way it is. This is the way it is. So I was like, uh, my mind was totally blown. This was only like three years ago. And I was very angry. I mean, I was really, I was, I was, I was, Like, ill. It made me so angry because there are people I love and care for. Excellent musicians. I also found trying to book them at other places that white... This is true, too. White musicians will get bill over some of the the black musicians. And I'm thinking, this is so messed up. But really, it's the first time I
1: experienced that. And you're white. And I'm white. Uh Uh-huh. Well, you see... So that's, that's one of the joys, isn't it, of being white? You never have to worry about these things.
0: Right, and I didn't, and I was like,
1: what? Yeah, I mean, really, it happening. blew my mind. It doesn't happen to you, so it isn't happening to anybody. Right. I'll never forget the woman. <laughs> oh, the, the first, the second year we did the exercise, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation in, in uh, Toronto sent a film crew down to, to film it for their news show, and they did. And they called me, they showed, anyway, the day after, the, the day after they showed it on television in Canada, he called me and said, you've got to get up here, we've got an angry populace, they want to know what the hell I was doing, you were doing with those poor little children in Riceville, Iowa. So I went to Canada, went to Toronto, sat down on the dais, and the, there was about 300 or 250 angry Canadians on uh, risers in a semicircle around me. And the man introduced me and he said, "Is there any, anybody have a question? And all, every one of them raised their hands and what in the devil I thought I was doing with those poor little kids? Almost the first question, a white woman stood up and said, Mrs. Elliott, don't you think you could do severe damage to a child by using that blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise with them for a day, psychological damage? Mm -hmm. I said, yes, and if you're concerned about the damage that's done to uh, psychological damage that's done to children, white children, on one day of that, you must be absolutely infuriated by what happens to colored children because that was the term we used in in your society and mine. And she said, this is a direct quote, That's different. They're used to it. They can take it. Oh, my God. Now, that's what you're saying. You're saying, oh, my God. Let me tell you something. I get that reaction every time I do the exercise with adults. When it's over, some white woman says, this was too severe, too extreme. And some black person beside her says, what about us? We have it all the time. And she says, that's different. You're used to it. You can take it. I'm not used to that kind of behavior. Oh, my God, that's sickening yeah is that thick it is it's or, sickening or the white woman who came up to once the people i was working with and a black woman and said when i see you i don't see you black and this black woman said well i think you and i need to go down to the local optometrist because i think you have an eye problem." <laughs> she said what i don't see you black I, I don't see you black and you can't imagine the number of people who have said to me i don't see color and at that point, I say, how did you get dressed this morning? You
0: know what? That makes... that. St- I've said that before, actually. I don't see in color, right? Well, you need to see color. Unless you're colorblind. And even if you're colorblind, you see color. I've said that. And I've meant it before as I'm not being judgmental. Do what you know what I'm really saying? What I mean is I don't see your
1: skin color as a negative. Exactly. But that isn't what you say. No. Wow. Because that's I crazy. Color. Yet every time I hear that, I cringe. A woman walked up to me one day and said, because she knows what I do. She said, and this, this is the one that just really, really blew my mind. She said, I don't dislike people. When I see one, I just say, there but for the grace of God, go I. Oh, my. What What is that? What is that? That means that God was kind enough and loved her enough to make her white so she'd be all right. Wow, oh, that's. Now, here's the real kicker for this whole thing. Have you ever seen a Christmas card? Yeah. With Jesus, Joseph, and Mary on it? Oh, yeah, yeah. And Jesus... And Mary are both white, and, right. and she has that yellow hair peeking out underneath her headband and those nice blue eyes and that fair, fair skin. hmm And the baby Jesus looks like the little Pillsbury Doughboy. hmm Well, let me tell you what the real miracle of Christmas is. That those blue-eyed, blonde-haired, white-skinned people were able to hide among those swarthy Egyptians while they were being pursued by King Herod. Now, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary were in the Middle East. right. They have dark, dark hair I know Dark, dark eyes And Rather beautiful bronze-like skin Right But We have We have created God We Christians We white Christians Have created God In our own image I agree with you And we've made God A white male Now God is a spirit Right And has neither color Nor gender Right God is a spirit And has neither color Nor gender So people need to get over that and I'm, I would be really happy to help them. Well, they, if they want to know what Jesus looked like, all they have to do is look at some of those little Palestinian kids who are being killed this week. Uh, good point. Excellent point. Look at some of those Afghan children who are being killed this week by, our, by our mistaken bombing. Mm-hmm. Look at some of those Jewish children in Israel who are being killed every day this week and have been since 1948. That's what Jesus looked like. And the next time you think of those little children, put, put Jesus' name on them. Put their face on Jesus' face instead of the one that you have hanging in your church.
0: That's, it's interesting that you bring that up, too, because I was talking with my friend Rose. We, t- we have a lot of discussions like this. And I was asking her, uh, being honest, I said, you know what? I didn't realize it until my niece had asked me when she was little. She said... How come there are no little black Barbie dolls or baby dolls? Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Right? And I was like, oh, my God. She goes, I want one. Okay, so I'm telling this to my friend Rose. And I looked. Jane, I looked everywhere. This is going back, like, maybe 15 years. I couldn't find one. I'm not oh, even I kidding know that. So I said to my friend Rose, I said, what did you do? She goes, we had to play with white dolls. I said, oh, my God. See, like, I, I don't know this. I'm like, that's messed up. You're a little... Okay, you're a little black girl and you have to play with a white doll. Oh, but, hey, 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 hey. They just did. Did you
1: see Anderson Cooper 360 a couple of weeks ago? No. When they replicated the doll study, they took children, sat them down, black children and white children, and then showed them different dolls. A black doll and a white doll. doll. And they asked them which one was the dirty doll. And without practically without exception, they pointed to the black doll. Oh, God. Which is the bad doll. They pointed to the black doll. Now, Kenneth Clark did that that study years ago. It was absolutely brilliant. And it proved that we teach kids to judge negatively or positively on the basis of skin color from the moment they're born. He did that, I think, in the early 50s. They replicated it about 30 years ago, and then they did it again in the last several months. And they found the kids were reacting the same way Several months ago, that they did when Kenneth Clark did his first doll experiment.
0: I want to ask you after you did this, like I, because I, I cannot even imagine how the school board, the parents. I mean, were you like threatened and, and uh,
1: abused? Oh, oh, oh my, I was never. I was threatened with loss of my job. Every year, that was just that's just what everybody knew. Well, Elliot, they're gonna they're gonna be uh, they're going to fire the N love N word lover this year. Well, every year. They'd take that, the school board would, it would be brought up the school board, and the school board, the president would say, um, I am the one who does the hiring and firing of teachers, and I'm not going to fire Mrs. Elliott. And I had three different superintendents and three different principals. However, while, as, while they didn't get to me personally, except in lying and, oh, some ugly things, and ugly, ugly things, they got to my kids. My kids were beaten and spit on. Their belongings were destroyed. They were physically and verbally abused by their peers, by their teachers, and by the parents of their peers because they had what is, in 20% of the people in that area, still referred to as an N-word lover. Oh my goodness. It was ugly. It was absolutely ugly. There were streets in Riceville, a town of a thousand people, that my children were not allowed to walk on, ever, because we don't want any of you people on this street. That That's sickening. Yeah, it was uh, my son when he was in seventh grade. Uh, would run home from high, from junior high every night because if he didn't run fast enough, the kids from the high school would catch up with him. And one night he didn't run fast enough, and five of them chased him down. Three of them got out of a car and beat him up. One stayed in the car as a watch person, and the other stayed in the car to drive. These were white kids beating up white kids just because yeah, white they kids supported up my son because his mother said it's all right not to be white. Wow. Yeah, they, they they took an awful, an immense amount of abuse, just an ungodly amount. So even though we had I had never wanted, the kids had never wanted to move out of that area because the grandparents were there, and they absolutely adored my father. Uh, after two years of that, I said, do you kids want to move? And they said, yes, let's go. So we found a house 16 miles from Riceville, 14 miles from Riceville to live in, and the kids went to the Osage School, and I continued to teach in Riceville. I had to get my kids out of there. The principal's wife said to me, "Jane, get your kids out of here. These people are trying to destroy them."
0: Oh my goodness!
1: And they were. They were working on destroying them because they couldn't destroy me. So
0: they go after children.
1: That that's even more disgusting than. Oh, sure, hmm. it was absolutely disgusting. If they had come after me, I would have had legal recourse, and I would I'd have put a stop to it. But they came after my kids, and it was the adult word against my kids' word. But then we got letters from, the kids got letters from some of their peers later on, apologizing for the things they had done and saying they knew what the teachers were doing. And a couple of teachers indicated to me that they knew what was happening and they didn't have the courage to stand up against it. Because one of them, Darlene said, Jane, I knew what was going on, yes, but I, I wish I had your courage. I couldn't stand up against it. And I thought, well, who was it said, Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the perpetuation of evil is for good people to do nothing. Yes, I love that. I love that quote. It's true. Yeah. And and uh, Nathan Rutstein said, prejudice is an emotional commitment to ignorance. My ethics
0: are, are so intact, and I try the best that I can now as an adult to be unconditional and accepting. What you just said is so important because... Sometimes I will find myself doing things and people will say like, wow, that's crazy. Why are you supporting that? Why are you doing this? I'm like, because I believe in it. Why not? We're people. We're all people, right?
1: Yeah, Yeah, why not do it? The question is, when somebody asks me that, I say, why aren't you? Yeah, they'll, they'll complain or be negative,
0: you know, towards it. And I'm thinking like if you took that energy and put it somewhere positive, you know, we'd have a lot more happy things going on in the world, you know?
1: Well, we'd have a lot less of this nonsense going on if we could really educate people. If we could really lead them out of ignorance, if we could get every parent and every teacher to read um, Joy Hakeem's A History of Us, instead of encyclopedias, it's ten little books for kids from first grade to eighth grade, and every adult ought to read it.
0: Jane, what is that again? It's called A History
1: of Us. A History of Us? Us, U.S. A History of Us, and it tells the story of this country from the point of view of those who are other than white tall male Oh wow. Oh yeah, it is it is so very important. What is the author? Um offer? Joy Hakim H A K I M. Thank you. And the book A People's History of the United States, and who wrote that? It's it's just a, Oh, Howard Zinn? Yes, Howard Zinn. <laughs> Richard just said that. Said that.
0: Yep. Everybody should read that. People's History of the United States. Right. Now, I wanted to go through a, a couple of quick things here because, Jane, uh, your commendations, they just totally blow me away. And I'll go, in 1970, she had a White House conference on children and youth. And in 71, the American Broadcasting Company documentary. Oh, wait a
1: minute. In 1970, I put about 300 delegates to the White House conference on children and youth through the Blue-Eyed, Brown-Eyed exercise. That was that exercise? But it was adults, right? Oh, yes. They thought they were adults until we started the exercise. And then they all turned into children. It was just amazing because these are doctors and lawyers and nurses and preachers and priests and and people who are important in the lives of children. And they all became children. Oh, my goodness. It It was fantastic. Go on. Oh, in 71, the
0: American Broadcasting Company, which is ABC, did the documentary, The Eye of the Storm. And there were two books, A Class Divided and A Class Divided Then and Now by William Peters, mm-hmm. written about your exercise. This what is fascinating. If you go to PBS Frontline, which is pbs.org, A Class Divided uh, was a PBS Frontline documentary. And I believe it's to date the most requested video, I believe. Yes, it is for PBS. For it PBS, for most right. Most often requested. Most often requested. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah class divided the most requested and then it's like all of us just sitting and we're around in a room and you doing the exercise right like that right just regular right. Pe- everyday people
1: right and people who don't even know what's going to happen
0: oh my god that's great i almost want to like i want to have you come here and do this i'm not even kidding you. we are so multicultural here this is like we need this here i'm not even kidding you
1: yeah multicultural doesn't mean that you are accepting of others
0: Right. Well, no, I know that. Trust me. It
1: means, that, it means you've got lots and lots of different cultures going, and that's wonderful. But if what you're teaching in the school is only those who enjoy white culture are really deserve to be teaching, number one, and deserve to be in school, number two, then you are teaching about multiculturalism. I can only go like, from
0: my experience in doing like, public relations and promotion and working with so many different people is that I see it, it's alive and well, and it shouldn't be. You know oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely.
1: the, 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 the huge explosion of hate groups in this country in oh the election of Barack Obama says it all. There
0: is a oh, there's a couple more things. She was um Jane was a uh, person of the week with Peter Jennings on ABC. And then McGraw-Hill, which is a publishing list heard. This is amazing. This is as a timeline of one of the most notable educators, along with Confucius, Plato, Booker T. Washington, and Maria Montessori. Have
1: you ever seen that? No. See, I'd like to get my hands on that. I saw it once, and I sent it to my lawyer, and she never sent it back. I'd like to get a copy of that because I'd really like to have that in my hand, but I don't have a copy of it anymore. But, yeah, that's what they did. And, of course, they're wrong. I don't rank up there with any of those. I just did something unique. And that's that's unfortunate. That teaching children that it's wrong to be racist in a way that they will never forget is unique. That ought to be something you do every day. That ought to be an expected part of the curriculum.
0: I agree with you. I agree. I I completely agree. And then uh, you were invited to speak at more than 350 colleges and universities on Oprah for four times. Five times. Five times. (laughs) Look at this. See, five times. And, you know, it's really cool. Well, it's really neat because, like... I'm looking at the diversity training that you do and it's like General Electric, Exxon, at t IBM, lecture to the FBI, the IRS, the US Navy, Department of Education, the Postal Service, I mean that's amazing, I mean they, so you're doing, what you're doing is you're going into the corporations and that's your diversity training or is it basically just groups of people that are having difficulty
1: in the workplace? Well see, I don't do diversity training. I don't believe in training grown-ups. You train horses and dogs and you train military people to react to certain stimuli in certain, in certain prescribed ways, I don't train people. I do an exercise with them, and I educate them. But I don't train them. I don't uh, believe in training people. You. I believe in educating people and creating an awareness in them. If if they don't, if they don't learn what I'm trying to teach, at least they'll be more aware. The next time they see racist behavior, they'll be able to say to themselves, "Oh, I was exposed to that one day. I'm not going to let that happen to somebody in my presence."
0: Exactly. You know, what I, what I absolutely love, Jane, is how you take a definition and you make it correct. Like, I will say, oh, this discri- no, that's not discrimination. Oh, this prejudice. And what you just said there, you don't train, you no, educate. Train huh. that's, you important.
1: educate that's important. That's important. another thing that I, that I there's a mistake in the film The Eye of the Storm. I told those kids that we should treat other people the way we want to be treated. That's a lie. And, the, and we talk about the golden rule. In the first place, the golden rule said, do not do to another person what you wouldn't want done to yourself. It didn't say treat others the way you want to be treated. I don't know how you want to be treated. I don't know that you would want to be treated the way I want to be treated. So I've practiced the platinum rule. Do unto others as others would have you do unto them. Treat others the way they want to be treated. And in, only to, in order to find out how they want to be treated, you have to ask them. Then you have to listen to their response, and then you have to do what they ask. But you see, that way you have no power. If you can treat people the way you want to be treated, and they don't like it, you can say, well, it's good enough for
0: me, what's your problem? Right, and I might want to, I might want to be treated in a really unruly manner.
1: Absolutely. Hey, I might want to be, I, I know that my daughter was married to a Saudi Arabian. I know that her mother-in-law did not want to be treated the way I wanted to be treated. There was no doubt about that so that was a real quick lesson for me again i keep getting these lessons i realized that the golden rule was was written in chinese philosophy first and we changed it we christians changed it to something that would give us power you have power if you treat others the way you want to be treated and they don't have a choice if you say to somebody how do you want to be treated then they can tell you how you want they want to be treated and you have to then treat them the way they request. Wow, that's absolutely beautiful. I never even thought of that of that simple do.
0: statement of having that much power. That's right. Words have power. Words have power and behaviors have consequences. I think that here's another thing, too, that a lot of people don't realize, because with my own son, I'm very careful. Okay, he has his own little built-in, inherent, beautiful spirit, and I, I do the best I can to not try to like you say, instill anything that, that I might have instilled in me, okay? And with television and media is a big one and cartoons and the internet and I mean that's where we get all our information from. So, um, I think a lot of parents too probably don't realize phone conversations, conversations you're having with adult and your child is there. Oh yeah. You know, you're gonna pick that up. I don't I don't care if you're just, you're not even being it, but
1: these are, they're impressionable. Yep, yep. And they'll hear that and it doesn't just go in and one ear and out the other. It, Impacts it stays there, but then every every parent should turn off television. So I when totally I was teaching agree with you. my third graders had a kids club. Keep interested doing something, and they were only allowed to watch television one hour a night during the week. They could watch as much as they wanted to on the weekend until Sunday night, and then they could only watch one hour. And they had to bring a form from home that their parents had signed and put the time on if they if they brought the form home back signed, and they had only watched one hour a night during the week, then they got in the grab bag at the end of the week, and there were things in there that only third graders care about, and teacher said, you're bribing these children, I said, do you get paid at the end of the month? Well, yes, do you, you think you're being bribed? Well, they didn't like that. One t- one person said to me, you're taking these children away from their parents, I said, how? Because you're taking them away from television, I said, when those kids are watching television with their parents, they aren't with their parents, they're in that screen. Right. That's not communicating. No. That's not relating to one another. That's watching the boob tube. Right. And now they've done studies that prove that the longer you stay in front of television, the less likely you are to be an educated, accepting, non-racist human being. To racist sexist, put them in front of television for a while.
0: Well, no, it's true. I see it everywhere in cartoons. It's 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 embedded in
1: everything. Well, and if that doesn't work, give them some video games. And let him practice killing people. Yeah,
0: no kidding. Yeah, that's a big one with me. And that's, a, that's a lovely thing. That's a big one with me. And, you know, I didn't have, we did not have any television. And, well, I have the internet because I do a lot of work. But I just let my son on the internet, seriously. And I'm like, I, you know, because I'm real cautious. And I have to teach him. And, and show him, now listen, there's a lot of crazy stuff on here, you know, because there is. Oh. There's a bunch of madness, you know, just click in, click on anything. So you have to be really careful. And like cell phones, all this crazy stuff, you have to be really, really cautious because it's like the age of technology is a beautiful thing, but it's also a dangerous thing.
1: A well-meaning principal in a small town, well, I guess it wasn't such a small town in California last winter, <laughs> a fourth grader went home. And told his mother that he had looked up oral sex in the dictionary. He found the definition. She went ballistic. In the dictionary, and that's great. She teacher, she called the principal. They took the dictionaries out of the fourth grade. Oh. Now, what they, I said, Goodness. I heard about it. I said, Good Lord. <laughs> the kid could go on the net. Exactly. And not only find a definition of oral sex, <laughs> how to do it, how to enjoy it, yeah, and how yeah. best to do it so that you could repeat it often. <laughs> He'd be better off, he would be better off reading the dictionary. Yeah, he, would, he would become so smarter. Then, so I, went, he would. Oh, I went over and over and over, You know, I <laughs> Googled oral sex. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, yeah, I can just imagine. Now, now, people, if you're listening to this, don't Google oral sex. <laughs> and don't let your children Google oral sex. <laughs> Uh, Oh my gosh, they took away a book. It was like book burning during the Nazi years. Uh Uh-huh, that's what it it made made me think of. And they bought a more age-appropriate dictionary. Well, did they take out all the computers, too? No. Of course they didn't. That was ridiculous, absolutely
0: ridiculous. There's far worse on the computer than there's going to be in a dictionary.
1: Certainly. (laughs) Oh my goodness. He gets his name on the computer and gets on Facebook and then he's open to all kinds of all kinds of ugliness. Yep, you got it. And Jane, we have only like 2 minutes
0: left. And god, I told you this would be go this would go quick. What's kind of funny is when when you came out and you said, "I will tell you right now, I'm a racist." I was going to ask you at the end is if there was anything that you could pick out in me, that was racist. That maybe I didn't know was embedded there, and now I'm laughing because immediately you come out, you go, "I'm a racist." Right? And I was like, "Oh wow, well, there goes that question right out the window." <laughs> you
1: I don't see differences. <laughs> stop that. When you say differences aren't important, and yet you are living in a state that doesn't allow gays and gay males to marry one another. Right. That says you've got to be different. Now think about that.
0: No, it's a problem. I mean, look at me. I mean, I don't even know what to say. It's like, I, 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 I'm like you. I, I'm really big on awareness. This is why I wa- one reason I want to talk to you today because a lot of people are not going to think that this is inside of them. I've even done it. I said, I'm not racist. I'm not bigoted. I don't discriminate. I'm not prejudiced. You know, and all these things we are, but it's, again, it's not a, a hateful or mad. Let's, let me
1: make something perfectly clear here. If you graduated from high school, in a public-private parochial school in the United States of America. And you're not a racist. You didn't learn the program. You got it. You got it. You were too dumb to get the program. That was you have to go back and do it over. And if you want a classic example of that, get a picture in your mind of the map of the world that's hanging on the classroom wall. You got it? Yep. All right, now, is Greenland hanging down there like a great big ripe plum? Is Greenland in the middle of your map? Oh, I'm not, I don't know. Greenland, a great big green, a great... Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, Greenland, that's Greenland. And Alaska stretches from hell to breakfast on that map. In fact, South America is nine times larger than Greenland. Did you know that? No. You need to get a pic- you need to get the the uh, Mercator projection map, which is in most classrooms in most schools in the United States, and take a look at it. And if you have the one that we had in school and the one that they had in schools until about two years ago, at the bottom of the map on that legend, it says South America is actually nine times larger than Greenland. Wow. Now I bought a new copy of that map last fall. They have taken that sentence off the legend.
0: You know, I'm going to have to go home and check because I just bought two, a world map 2010. Check your world map. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go look at it because it's a brand new one, a big wall laminated one.
1: Go to go to um, travel agency and look at the wall size map on the wall. And see if the United States is in the middle of the map. Greenland is hanging down there like a great big ripe plum. And poor little South America is down here. And then, here's the kicker. Find the equator. Hmm. And you'll find out that it's two thirds of the way down the map.
0: Jane, I want to well, first of all, I want everyone to go to janeelliot.com. That's ww.jane, jane Elliott, Those that's where all of her videos are. You can request her for speaking. For education awareness, um, also on YouTube, a class divided is there, and I believe also on Jane's website, there's videos. There's there so much from all the various videos on my website. They are on your website. Okay. Yep. So you can watch that all on com I mean, it's absolutely fascinating, and I I would like everyone to go check it out. I'll also link it here so you could just link right on. And see what she's talking about, because even myself, I, before this interview, I did not even consider myself in any f- way, shape, or form to be racist, bigoted, discriminatory in any fashion. And it's just by the way I say things sometimes. And not that I feel that way, but like how, you know, it's the way you may present yourself or say certain things. It's so easy. It is very easy. It's frightening how easy it is. And to think that I'm not even full of hate or anger or any of that stuff. And it exists inside of me because of my upbringing, society, you name it. Yep. That's frightening. And Jane, um, I want to end with uh, another quote of yours. Is there anything you have to tell anybody before we finish here?
1: Racism is an individual problem, it's not just societal. Society is made up of individuals. Each of us has the answer to the problem of racism. And we need, to, we need to work on destroying the racism in this country.
0: I agree, and it's beautiful. This is a quote from Jane. I've reached a point now where I will no longer tolerate the intolerable. I'm a ball of barbed wire, and I know it. After 30 years of dealing with the subject of racism, I am no longer a sweet, gentle person. I want it stomped. It shouldn't be necessary in 2008... To say things that are difficult for people to hear. I'm not count, kind about it, but neither are the racists. That's powerful. And everybody, this is Jane Elliott. Jane, I want to thank you so much for speaking with me today. Everything that you do is so honorable and commendable. And please keep doing it because it, it's it's so, so thank
1: needed. You for calling me and for listening for an hour.
0: No, thank you, Jane, so much. You're most welcome.